All right, bradcooney.com. I'd like to welcome to the show pop rock singer-songwriter, Miss Gwen Gold. What is up? Hi, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. What's up with you? You good? Yeah, yeah, doing great uh, here in Pittsburgh. And, you know, not, I'd like to say it was a sunny day or is a you know, beautiful day, but not so much. A little bit cold here, but yeah. uh, doing well. What's the weather up there? Is it snowing? Uh, a little bit, just icy. <laughs> More like slush. So it was like 70 degrees here today. Oh, where are you at? I live um, just north of New Orleans. Oh, okay, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's nice you weather. Get a little bit nicer weather, yeah. You know what, though? It's really strange here. We could have like 70 today, and then it could be like 30 tomorrow, but then 70 the next day. It's really strange winter down here. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you on your toes. Exactly. All right, so before we get into your latest project, tell my listeners a little bit about you, um, when you first got into making music and how it all started. Yeah, so I'm 22 right now, and I just recorded my first album in uh, you know spring of last year yep. and released it then in the fall. And before then, I started out you know playing piano and singing as you know like most kids like do. I feel like whenever their parents like are like, oh, if you're like start playing piano, mm. like I started doing that at like five six, and then uh, you know going into high school, I really grasped onto classical music, specifically opera. So yeah. I decided to go to school for that, and whenever I went to Indiana University in Bloomington, I studied under Wolfgang Brendel and really was wow. uh, bound for more of like, you know, an, an opera career and wanted to get my doctorate, and at the same time I was writing music, so I switched around and recorded the album, and now here I am a few years later. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I was reading up on you, uh, on your history a little bit. I wanted my listeners to hear, but it was really intriguing to me that opera was basically your first go-to. And um, I, I actually like opera myself. I like. Have you ever heard of Paul Potts? Oh yeah. Love Paul Potts. He actually was really. I'll tell you a quick story. Me and Paul Potts had a really cool Twitter conversation about a year and a half ago. It was a lot of fun. Oh, what about? Well, you know what? Me and me and another guy were, were bragging on him. And in our Twitter conversation, we were just we tagged him, and we were bragging on his performance when he was on the uh, what was that one? What was that show he was on when Simon discovered him? Um, oh, uh, was it Britain's Got Talent? Yeah, one of those two. Yeah, yeah one of those. And um, so he saw he saw the tweet, so he just jumps in. He just jumped in the conversation, and oh, he was telling cool. he was telling us about like how he was selling mobile phones before. You know, he got discovered on the show, and don't give up on your dreams. Really nice guy. Really cool dude. Yeah, I think that he's really interesting, especially, you know, his story, because I think he's showing that opera is, like, pretty accessible to anyone. Yeah. As long as you have, like, that, that power and that range. I mean, obviously, you have to have some, you know, some certain chops to, to do it, right? But it's accessible to anyone, and I think people view it as sort of this, like, ancient art form, but it's totally not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it it did not start in like the 1400s. I mean, parts of it right date back to then. But I mean, operas were written in like 1916. That's you know not a million years ago. So I think that people tend to think that it's a little bit of an older art form that it is. So yeah. uh, it's nice to see it on those kinds of shows in a way because it's a, a way for a, a younger audience to hear about it. Mm -hmm. um, I was lucky that my mom really enjoyed it. I mean, she also. 
really enjoyed like 90s grunge and then R&B. So she was kind of wide ranging. But yeah. whenever I was really, really little, I would just grow up and like sit and stare at the TV, the three tenors CD of them like singing in Rome. My mom had like the DVD and I would just like sit there. And I was like, the only thing that would like calm me down, like I would be like, you know, like whatever, like a wild kid. My mom would just, just like <laughs> pop me in front of the TV. I'd be like, what's that opera language they're singing? Yeah, yeah. It was just like so entertaining to me. So I always was like strangely drawn to it. So I was lucky in that way, but I'm glad that there's other people out there pushing it. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this. Did you, did you have any struggles as far as transitioning from opera to more pop rock, classic rock? Did you have to discipline yourself the change? Because that's a pretty dramatic change in genre when you're singing one one you know opera then into rock. Was there any struggles there at all, or did you pretty much transition pretty smooth? I feel like the majority of it was pretty smooth, just because I think that opera is um, a little bit more technically difficult than rock singing. So. Yeah. I, the, the, the weird part was more so toning down certain aspects of my voice, which right. was equally as difficult, but also not as bad as adding something in. So I feel like if I was trying to transition from pop to opera, it would have been much more uh, difficult yeah, that makes to do. Sense. So it was, it was definitely strange having to, to think about like positioning my voice a little bit differently, but a lot of the technique is, is the same if it's healthy singing and healthy breathing. It's, um, all a very similar technique if you're using, um, you know, healthy technique. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Transitioning to opera would be more difficult, I would think, than somebody transitioning away from it to something else. Um, oh, yeah, of course. I, I don't mm -hmm. know many people who have done that. I, I don't even no. know if I name one off the top of my head necessarily. Right. Okay, so let's touch on the record Land of Honey. Um, I guess I want to know the backstory behind the title, and I read, I'm, I'm going to let my listeners hear you tell the story, but some pretty impressive people are involved in production and involved in this in this record, huh? Oh, yeah, it was a great project to work on with all the people involved. They were, you know, really, really, really uh, instrumental, I think, to making it all happen, especially it was my first one. And give me the backstory on the Land of Honey title. Yeah, so I think that uh, biblically, you know, people know it as the land of milk and honey, which is, you know, I think I, I, I know it down to, it's just like a place full of like, it's very like comforting. It's very like luxurious. It has like, you know, this, this, this piece, it's almost like a heaven to me. That's sort of what I'm thinking mm -hmm. of it as. And I'm not very religious myself. Uh, but I, I do use those references throughout my music, and the lyricist that I work with also uses a lot of biblical references, strangely, even though neither of us are religious people. It, um, they're very strong references because everyone knows them. Uh, I think that even if you're not religious, people tend to know things like like Moses or Land of Milk and Honey. They, they know those, those right. references. Yeah, so I... Uh, I think that they're they're good to explain the meaning because instead of for me saying like the universe or the energy or like something that I I can't even explain or put into words, it's easier to use references that are already there to explain the same feeling because I think that that's sort of you know that that's that's what all religion is you know you're explaining different things through mm -hmm. through just different vocabulary. So I'm just using the vocabulary through my music to explain this sort of uh, end of one's life and moving into like a peaceful realm. 
Yeah, interesting. Really interesting. So you, you, when I read your bio, you, you pointed out a guy named Jimmy, and, and forgive me if I, if I mispronounce his, his name. Is it Hoison or Hoisin? Jimmy Hoisin? Oh, Jimmy Hoisin, yes. Yeah, you were, you went, um, you, you, you kind of made it clear that he wasn't just a producer. He, he becomes somebody who was a mentor, um, somebody you have a really strong business relationship with. Can you touch more on that? Yeah, absolutely. So whenever I was in school, I was looking around for a, a place to record, and I found uh, the vault, which is located on Neville Island here in Pittsburgh. And the owner, Bob McCutcheon, said, oh, well, we have this great producer, Jimmy. He works out of here. He, you know, he had moved from L.A., so we came and we visited, and we met Jimmy. And, uh, you know, he explained to us what he could do and what our project could be like. And I just, you know, totally just trusted him. We went right in, and he definitely knew exactly what he was talking about. I mean, he's, he's from Pittsburgh originally, moved to L.A., mm. uh, I mean, has worked with, I mean, everyone, I mean, the stories that he's told me whenever I'm in the studio, it's just ridiculous, because I'll mention uh, anyone, and he'll just be like, oh, yeah, one of our was with B.B. King. I'm oh, like, wow. Okay. Wow. Like, that, now I'm just <laughs> upset, but <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's nice that I have that experience, because then if I say, oh, I want this record to sound like this, he knows exactly what needs to be done, because he was there whenever that happened. So he could just say, oh, well, I know what that needs to, you know, what needs to be adjusted to make that sound like that or have that sort of vibe or sound. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really nice. And he's been helpful as far as, you know, releasing the music and getting other people involved um, as far as marketing. So uh, he's definitely taken me under his wing as far as, you know, a mentor within the industry, especially in Pittsburgh. It's small here. So I think that he... Uh, has a few artists that he's working with, and I think we're trying to build sort of a, a stronger Pittsburgh music community, especially within, like, younger recording artists. That's great. You know, they say that the key to success is to surround yourself with talent. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's the only thing that's going to motivate you. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of the songs. Um, I listened to the song called My Blue Eyes, and I really enjoyed it, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it was really cool. I actually love the piano on it, too. Was that you on piano? Who played the piano on that? So that was not me. That is Joe Monroe, who is my keyboardist. He was, you know, in my live band. He's great. Yeah. And, uh, another local Pittsburgh musician. Uh, he's in a band called the Ghost Towns that just was touring with uh, the Rolling Stones. They were just opening up for them. So I mean, he's, you know, another one where it's just like the experiences that he's had just bring so much to the table, and they're all... Uh, you know, I'm 22. All of these guys are in their 60s, and it's just like so, it's so funny because like I'm have to go in and like have to you know kind of take control of everyone and be like, oh, this is kind of my idea. And I think when I very first went in the studio, everyone was like, who's this young girl? What are we singing here? What's going on? And then I said, you know, our first song we did was Hired Done, and I was like, oh, I really want it to sound like you know the CSNY song Woodstock, and they're like, oh, yeah, we know that one. Like we could yeah. make it sound like that for sure. And so then I think after that, they realized what I was trying to do and what, what kind of vibe I was trying to create. And uh, him in particular was very um, into that genre and had a lot of knowledge in it. So he brought a lot to the table as far as uh, with the keys and uh, adding in some some different elements to it that really like brought out parts of the song that just, yeah, it was just great. What's the song about? Tell the, tell the listeners out there what it's, what it's about. 
Yeah, my blue eyes, I think, is at its core just about, you know, witnessing, experience some kind of trauma. Mm. And I think it's a song that is about um, sort of moving forward past it, so not, you know, sitting in it and, and, and the depression part of it or the anger part of it. It's the part where you're looking back and thinking, oh, well, this, I don't like the phrase that, like, everything happens for a reason. I keep, like, saying this, but I do like that you're learning everything from what has happened to you. So every time something happens, you're going to gain something from it or learn something from it. And mm -hmm. it, it, it may not have happened like for a reason in that, like, you know, this needed to happen, but like you do learn something eventually, or you, you know, have someone leave your life that was meant to leave your life. Uh, cause they weren't good for it. So I think that, uh, the whole song is about like going over that arc and going into like more of the peaceful, end of things so after the song the second half of the album becomes a lot more like calm subdued a little bit more um i think healing in that sense the first half is a little bit more uh heavier on the classic rock side but mm -hmm. then the second half is a little bit more r&b leaning and uh almost like americana country so this is the smack in the middle of uh where that peak is happening interesting so the song I didn't get, I didn't get to listen to it because I didn't, it wasn't sent to me, but it's called Teardrop Tattoo. Now the title grabbed my attention because teardrop tattoos are symbolic to somebody who's like a prison person. Um, so I was curious to, to that title and, and, and the backstory of that song. Yeah. So teardrop tattoo is, you know, a very like, disco-y kind of song it's the opening to the whole thing and it's very uh it's about like a coming of age and you know sort of appropriate for where you are right now it's um the lyricists have written it about uh coming of age kind of like in a new orleans like jazz bar so yeah. it's very like cutthroat and like talking about like your formal debut and it says like um you had a teardrop tattoo for your formal debut, nothing left to do but sing them all the blues, and it's very, like, ah. all, like foreboding lyrics, but at the same time, it's, like, set to, like, a disco, like, shuffle, and uh, the piano, or the keyboardist, he added in, you know, these, like, wah-wah sounds, and, and he had worked with... Uh, uh, he worked with a lot of different people, including Greg Almond, for a long time, and that's Peter Levin out of uh, Nashville, and he's super wow. talented and added a lot to that song. And they're just, you know, just a great song. I really like Teardrop Tattoo. So how did you hook up with such, like, talented people? I know Pittsburgh's not, like, a huge, massively big music town, um, but you have surrounded yourself with people that work with, like, legends. Yeah, yeah so I think... Jimmy was the number one, uh, you know, key to the, to everything. You know, I, I met him and he had introduced me to a lot of these musicians. Uh, so, you know, they could have chosen to work with me or not chosen to, but, uh, he has definitely said, Oh, I have these musicians in mind or people who are in Pittsburgh. And, you know, would you like to talk with them about, you know, possibly doing a project? And, you know, I spoke with each one of them and so some of them I was sort of picking more than them picking me and some of you know it was just back and forth and then as far as um like Peter he just did it virtually so he did it in his home studio in Nashville oh. and sent the recordings back up so we just sent him down the track and said are you interested in being on this and he said absolutely so that was 
you know, I think that I was lucky enough to have someone who had those contacts um, in Jimmy and had people to uh, call to say, oh, do you have this person's number? That's um, huge. But uh, Pittsburgh, I think, is a small music scene, but there's a lot of talented people that move here who just want to do studio work, maybe um, local touring, uh, or they want to, like, kind of have a break. So I think it's a good place, uh, especially for me, to sort of come up and start and meet these people who are sort of on, like, you know, their, their chill end of their career. So then for for me, I can sort of work with those people and then eventually be moving out of Pittsburgh and uh, into different cities a little bit more and have more of a presence there. Cool. Sounds like you got, you got a good head on your shoulders and a good plan, which is important. <laughs> it's always important to have a plan. I try. Yeah. So talk about some of your goals for 2022. It's pretty fairly early in the year. What do you want to get done this year? So this year, I'm already looking forward to album number two. I'm looking forward to touring around Pittsburgh a lot more. I think that the pandemic has obviously messed up touring and that kind of thing for oh, every yeah. musician. So it's, you know, I think that that's sort of redundant at this point to keep going into because I keep saying it to people like, well, it's the pandemic. And, but I think that eventually it's, uh, going to get to a point, hopefully that we all can go and have music be as normal. And so I'm hoping that that will be at some point this year that I can be doing some larger shows or some, some things more often, but just gigging here is still not at, you know, peak capacity. So I'm, I'm getting into that and, Looking forward to getting that done this year, as well as uh, some more marketing and uh, music videos for the second album. Do you plan on dropping any more singles off this current record before you start working on a, on a new one? Yes, yeah, so I dropped three singles for this record, and then I dropped the album. So I'm uh, going to focus on marketing the album as well and have people listen to it and obviously still push it. But... Uh, everything's out now. There's no more singles to be had, unfortunately, for this album. I love the project, but um, I think the next one will also be very different, so it's uh, cool to keep up with it and have people get a taste of different aspects of me as an artist so they can you know, mm -hmm. get different flavors and have more opportunity to get involved. Are your songs getting any radio play anywhere? Yeah, so there's been a couple radio stations that have been playing it uh, locally that I've been uh, trying to work with. So, yeah, um, you know, slow, slow but sure. You know, there's these smaller stations and, uh, you know, just working on a couple things in regards to that. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a strange process nowadays with streaming and yeah, online is. marketing. It's a uh, little bit slower and it's more independent, but uh, I'd rather be, you know, doing what I'm doing than have someone else tell me what I should be doing. So, yeah. so I'm doing it the way that I'm doing it and I'm really enjoying it. Um, have you considered approaching college radio station, college stations? A lot of colleges have radio stations and it's a lot oh, easier. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. a lot easier. Yes, yes. And that has been working out. It's just, uh, you know, that's what I mean by it's like slow but sure. Yeah. Moving forward through all of the schools that I can uh, locally. I had Brad Arnold on my show. He's the singer of Three Doors Down, a very successful rock band. Okay. And, um, that's how he did it. He told me him and him and um, one of the other guys in the band, 
they they banged on college radio station doors, the radio stations in colleges, and that's where they got the song Kryptonite started playing in colleges, and yeah. uh, and then it took it took you know it really took hold, and and like colleges all across the country were playing it. So then all of a sudden the mainstream radio stations like, the hell's going on with this song in these colleges, man? What's that all about? So then they started playing it. And that, then it was over with after that. They just hit stardom, sold millions of records. Huh, I didn't know that about them. Yeah, yep, great guy. But one of the things Brad Arnold told me one time that was really interesting, because I asked him about, I said, Brad, you ever get nervous singing in, like, arenas with, like, 50,000 people? And you know what he told me? What? He told me that I get more nervous singing in a bar with 40 people than I do in a stadium with 50,000 people. That's really funny. I've said the same thing to my mother about really? 20 times a day. Yeah, I mean, I've told her, you know, I can't sing in front of just, you know, you and dad and, you know, the five people you had over for dinner. That makes me so nervous. But getting yeah. up in front of, like, you know, even just, like, a, a couple thousand people, I'm like, oh, okay, that, that seems fine. That seems nice. I can't see anyone's face. That's pretty cool. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know why that is, but that's you know nice to know someone else is thinking the same. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so we touched a little bit. I was going to ask about live performer, but you kind of touched on that before with the pandemic. Um, and I really hope that it looks. It, that, knock on wood, it looks like the 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 virus is trending down in most states. Um, oh, so yeah. keep keep your fingers crossed that we keep going in that direction because I. I, I love music and I love going to shows and I, and I have a lot of friends that are musicians and I, and I like to support them as much as I can. Um, but the really the venues really just kick the crap out of the the, the, the um, well, really all jobs. I mean, just there's not really a profession out there that hasn't impacted. Um, so hopefully, musicians and artists can get out there and theaters will open back up some of them are but it's been tough man i feel really sorry for you guys just when, it's, when it comes to like live performing yeah it's, it's definitely rough but uh i'm just trying to stay positive about it and work on you know stuff that i can be doing like writing more music getting involved in the second project i think it's just adjusted uh musicians goals right i think that we yeah. now had more time to practice and rehearse and i think that i've definitely uh improved a lot even on you know the piano that i wasn't really working on as much i was doing a little bit more like writing and yeah. singing and uh i think that i have a lot more time to go back and practice some classical piano which really just improved my piano skills so uh that was fun too so i think that everyone's been trying to find a way to you know focus their time in a positive way it's just you know let's hope that you know this ends at some point soon what is your timeline for this second album we want to try to get that done this year Yes. Nice. All right. Let me see. I think I've covered most of what we need to talk about. Obviously, I want to give you. I noticed that on your. Um, I didn't get any social media links for you. They sent me your bio, but I didn't have any social media links. So, um, I, if you want those published, we need to get those to me somehow. Um, oh yeah, no, of course. That is um, all, you know. Gwyn Gold. That's G W Y N N G O L D. So it's just uh, my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Everything's under Gwyn Gold, and that's it's easy enough. Super easy to find. Yeah. All right. One last question. I like to ask this question. I think you're going to like this question because you're a singer-songwriter and and um, you know, play instruments and opera singer and rock singer. So I think this is a perfect question for you. I I, I got to be transparent. I actually this this question came from one of my social media followers. 
Um, okay. And I like to, whenever I'm doing interviews with somebody, I'll throw it out there on my social media. I'll say, hey, if anybody have any questions for this artist, you know, send me a, a message. So this person sent me this question like two years ago. And I don't ask everybody I interview this question, but you seem like a good candidate. Okay. You ready? Uh-huh. Which do you like better, creating a song or performing the song after you've created it? I think that creating the song I like a lot better just because it only happens one time. So, you know, the creation of the song and writing it and coming up with the lyrics and how it's going to move, it's like a little mini project every single time in a little world that you're creating. And mm -hmm. after, you know, you perform it, once you perform it and it's that version, you can change it a bit and improvise. And I love performing the songs, obviously, but the creation of each song is just... Um, so much more entertaining in that way because it's your own little project and little gift to yourself each time. And you can only do that once with each song. So uh, I definitely think the creation of songs is um, more my favorite than the performing of them. Great answer. Really good answer. I get I get it both ways. I get some people that say they, they, they enjoy so much seeing hundreds or sometimes thousands of people singing the lyrics of their song. Um, but I've also had answers like yours where they're, and it just goes to show you that people, not everybody's the same. Like some people are more into create the, the creativity part of it. And um, so cool. I appreciate you answering that. All right. I think yeah. that's it. Now, I always like to do this too, before I conclude the interview, did I miss anything that you wanted to promote? Any songs that I didn't get to? Anything like that you want to touch on before we wrap it up? <clears throat> Um, so I think that one song that nobody's been, uh, you know, mentioning on these podcasts that I really do enjoy, I really am enjoying Fleeting Dream is a, you know, really great music video that's uh, filmed in a Pittsburgh steel mill. It's oh, a really cool. cool and interesting song I'd like to also be promoting around. So, yep. uh, you know, you're on YouTube, go check that one out, as well as uh, Baby Let's, which is, you know, more of like a jazzy kind of song. It has like an upright bass in it, and I would just... Uh, like if people went and checked out those two and showed them some love, they're definitely my uh, one of my two favorites of the album. I like you know every song on the album. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> those would be two that I'd say I'd like people to go listen to. But other than that, I've really enjoyed all your questions and speaking with you, and I think that you've touched on just about everything. Awesome. A little bit of everything. Today. And that's why I do that because there's there's sometimes you know. I just don't like to walk away from an interview and the artist didn't get what they needed promoted out there. So I always ask that. Um, I enjoy talking to you too. And I really like your music and I think you have the sky's the limit for you. You have the talent, you have the people around you. I think you're going to go far, man. Just keep your head on straight, stay away from bad people. And I think you're going to do really well. So, um, whenever you want to come back, just let us know. Okay. Well, when you got some new stuff you want to talk about, we'll get you back on. Okay. Of course. Great. Thank you so much. I'll definitely reach out to you again. Absolutely. Okay. Good night, Gwen. Appreciate talking to you. All right. Good night. Thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.